Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, I mentioned is one of the the most important, if not the most significant date in all of Christ, on the Christian calendar, really in all of human history, because it's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As as Christians, we do that on Easter, but reality is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single Sunday, don't we? Um, that Jesus is alive, that sin and death are defeated. So we celebrate Easter big time as believers. But here's the thing, and we're studying in this series that um, there's no Easter without Good Friday. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion. There's no tomb without the cross. So this study over the next few weeks has taken us to the cross. We're looking at the cross at an eyewitness account. We're looking at it through the eyewitnesses who were there at the cross um, on that first Good Friday some 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. The six hours that Jesus hung on the cross, we're going to look at what can we learn from the, from the individual eyewitnesses who were there at those last few hours of Jesus' life here on earth. Or at least they thought that was going to be the end. Last week we looked at this, the cross through the eyes of the condemned criminal, uh, the thief on the cross who was crucified right next to Jesus. And we talked about how, what can we learn from God's salvation, about God's salvation from the thief on the cross. And we talked about how God's salvation is by grace and it is personal. It's a personal decision, a personal uh, salvation that we have to accept. We talked about how it was through Jesus alone and that it was immediate and obviously that it was eternal. Today as we look at the cross, we're going to look at it through the eyes of a woman who was there at the foot of the cross that Friday who honestly throughout history has been very misunderstood. There's been tons of misinformation, a little bit of fake news. Let me set the scene for you. Jesus is on the cross. He's moments away from his last breath. The Roman soldiers are fighting over who's going to receive Jesus' clothes. They're actually gambling over who's going to take the robe of Christ home. Remember, they put a robe on him. They mocked him as being king of the Jews. We talked about last week how they put a sign above him. Here is the king of the Jews, and they did that in a mocking sense. So they're gambling over who's going to take the robe home. And at this point in the story, we see who was really, really willing to be there at the very end during Jesus' last moments. I'm going to pick up reading in John chapter 19. These verses will also be on your outline if you want to open that up, um, and they'll be on the side screens or your, your screen of your device if you're watching uh, online. Verse 25 says, Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And I want you to, cir- I want you to circle or underline those last two words, Mary Magdalene. Or Mary Magdalene, if you're from the South, right? You grew up in, uh, in the South as Magdalene. Um, I want you to underline however you pronounce Magdalene. And uh, that's who we're looking at today. We don't know who, everybody who was at the cross with Jesus, but we do know that most of Jesus' disciples, those who were supposed to be the closest to Jesus, those who were supposed to go to the end, with Jesus, had promised to be there till the very end. We know that most of his disciples were not there. Peter and his crew had run away. They're too afraid. Only one disciple, John, was, was even at the cross. The other 10 or 11, depending on whether you're counting Jews at this point or not, um, they're too afraid to go to the cross with Jesus. But Scripture tells us that there were some specific women who were courageous enough and who were faithful enough to be there. And that... It gets a little confusing, doesn't it? Because three of them are named Mary. And these aren't the only Marys in in the New Testament. You know, you got Lazarus' sister, Mary and Martha. You know, there are so many Marys, it gets confusing. As I I said, it's a little bit like if you're here at this church and you don't know a guy's name, just guess Bob. You know, one out of three guys are named Bob or Robert or Bobby or Robbie or we even had a Roberto who was on the front row saying, you forgot Roberto. Roberto, I called you out today. So there's all these Marys and it can get confusing trying to keep all the Marys 
There's like Mary's, like George Foreman's, you know, George Foreman and his son George Foreman, his other son George Foreman. And it's like you got Mary, you got Mary the mother of Jesus, you got Mary the Mary's sister, the son of Clopas, you got Mary Magdalene, and you don't even have Mary Lazarus's sister Mary here. But this Mary Magdalene has been the the subject of a lot of rumors and conspiracy theories and popular myths. Up to dispel some of that today. She has become a woman of quite a reputation, but I want us to kind of look at, well, what do we really know, or who is the real Mary Magdalene? And the truth is, we don't know a lot about Mary, because she's only mentioned a handful of times in the New Testament, but we do know that she was one of the very few at the last moment at the cross who was there. So let's debunk some of these popular myths about Mary, and I've got a couple of slides to help us with this. Um, Here's myth number one about Mary. The first myth is that her last name was Magdalene. People say, well, that's Mary, Mary Magdalene. So they assume that that's her last name. But no, Mary, Mary's last name wasn't Magdalene. We don't know what Mary's last name was. It's significant because Magdalene is actually the city where she's from, Mary from Magdala. And you can see on that map there that Magdala was a thriving town on the Sea of Galilee. It was known, it's a kind of a shipping port. It's, uh, it was a trade center. It's known for its textiles, fine, fine dyes, uh, which meant it was a city of trade and a city of wealth. In fact, many believe that Mary, or at least someone in her family, might have been involved in this industry because we're going to discover later in our, in our study today that Mary had some financial means or at least her family did. We're going to come back to that. But myth number one, Magdalene was not her last name. It's where she was from. Myth number two, and this myth was made popular by the popular uh, book and movie, The Da Vinci Code. Myth number two is that Mary was Jesus' wife, or that they were somehow romantically involved, or that she was Jesus' girlfriend. And listen, that's just all made up. That's just Hollywood. You know, that's a thanks, Tom Hanks, you know, for for leading us astray like that. There's no evidence historically and more importantly, there's no evidence biblically that she was anything other than a faithful follower and supporter of Jesus and his ministry. So these are myths that didn't even pop up until the middle of ages, several hundred years after Mary um, was gone. That's myth number two debunked. And here's the third myth, and that is that Mary was a prostitute. That somehow she was a prostitute. Look, Mary has a colorful enough life or a dramatic enough um, conversion and story that we're going to study that we don't have to add all these myths to it. This myth that Mary was a prostitute started in the 6th century somewhere um, around uh, several hundred years after death. Pope Gregory was the first one to associate Mary with another character, another person in the New Testament, the repentant prostitute in the New Testament. That's why if you come across some classical paintings of Mary Magdalene, it might portray her in this light if they were commissioned, um, you know, in the Renaissance in some of these classical, classical times. Makes for a good Hollywood story. Unfortunately, there's no evidence to back any of this up. So Mary Magdalene wasn't her last name. That's where she was from. She wasn't Jesus' wife or girlfriend. That's all made up. And she wasn't a prostitute either. The truth is, Mary's none of those, but she was a fiercely devoted follower of Jesus, unwavering in her commitment to him, all the way to going to the cross of Calvary at the very end. When all of his closest disciples had abandoned him and deserted him, she was there to the very end. And in Mary Magdalene, we find a life of profound devotion, and we can learn a lot as we are followers of, of Jesus. It's important to you and me as followers that, you know, when you become a Christian, sometimes new believers in Christ or new followers of Jesus, they're excited. They grow really fast, just like the parables of the four soils, that God's word takes root and it and explodes. It grows in their life. But for many of us, the temptations of the world, the, the cares of the world crowd out God's word or God's work in our life. Or 
The hardness of our heart crowds out God's work. Sin in our life. And, and it's, it's important that we don't get distracted by life or we don't have the circumstances of life derail our faith and cause us to become angry or, or, or afraid or distracted. Or sometimes we become so self-absorbed in our own plans, our own dreams, our own will for our life that we miss God's purpose or God's meaning. We start living for something other than God. So I want us to learn what decisions do we need to make as followers of Christ that we can learn from, from Mary. Because when we let our lives get derailed or when we let our lives kind of stall out, our following, our Christian life, our following of Jesus kind of stall out, it ends up that life feels futile, it feels frustrating, and can be very scary. The key is to stay close to Jesus and follow him wherever he leads us. And for Mary, this led her right to the cross, to stay devoted to him in any and every circumstance that we go through. So important lessons that we can learn from Mary Magdalene, discovering how we can make the decisions to be a fully devoted follower just like, just like her. So if you've got your outline there, there's just a couple things that I want you to write down, really four decisions that we can make as followers of Christ, four decisions that we can make that will allow us to be really fully devoted followers. The first that I want you to write down is that I've got to make the decision to allow God to restore my broken life. I've got to allow God to restore my broken life. At the end of Jesus' life, Mary from Magnola is right there at the cross with them. But we need to understand where her journey with Jesus began and how that led her to this point or why it led her to stay so fully devoted at this point. We have to understand that Mary's journey with Jesus started at the, almost at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Before she met Jesus, before she became a fully devoted follower of Jesus, like probably many of us here or many of us watching online, Mary had a broken life. Her life was a mess. As Kristen said, it might have been a hot mess. It was, it was at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus was traveling from town to town. He was teaching. He was healing. He was feeding the poor. And this is where we meet Jesus. This is Luke chapter 8, one of the Gospels that we read her story in Luke chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 says soon afterward Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages preaching and announcing the good news about God's kingdom he took his 12 disciples with him along with some women who had be, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases among them were Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons circle that phrase seven demons or underline those two words Scripture tells us that Mary was, had been possessed by seven demons. Now, understand at this point, she would have been considered an outcast in town. She was a social outcast. She would have been, everybody would have known in this village, this town of Magdala, that of the crazy lady who seemed to have all these problems in her life. She would have been considered impure, couldn't go to the temple. She would have been considered, you know, an outcast from her family. She would have been uncontrollable. There would have been a stigma associated with her. There would have been a reputation. Oh, everybody knows about crazy Mary. It, it's this broken state of her life in the midst of all this, whatever's going on in Mary's life, that... Mary meets Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't have a, long, a lot of dialogue to explain exactly what happened. But at some point in this interaction with Jesus, Jesus heals her, and he sets her, he sets her free from these unclean spirits. And as a result, she decides, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, from our modern perspective, we don't really know how to view this or, or make sense of this. What were the seven demons? Was, 
what does that mean in the Bible? You know, the number seven means sometimes is used to portray completeness. So was she literally possessed by seven demons or was it a number used to show how completely broken and messed up her life really was? We don't know exactly. For me, when I read something that when the literal sense makes sense, I don't really seek another sense. So when it says that she had seven demons and Jesus cast those demons out. That's easy for me to accept. I don't need to uh, come up with some psychological reasoning behind that. Here's what we do know. Before Mary met Jesus, her life was completely messed up. She was broken. She was lost. But after she met Jesus, everything changed. She was restored. And so much happened in her life, at that time, that meeting of Jesus, that she was committed to following him for the next three to three and a half years, all the way to the cross of Calvary. Now, you, you may not be facing seven demons in your life right now. In fact, I'd highly recommend you avoid that if all possible, okay? But like Mary, you may still feel like your life is pretty broken, like it's a it's a hot mess. Like things things are messed up in your life. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're middle aged. Maybe you're 55 years old. And you look back over the last 55 years, and you know there, there's a lot of chapters, volumes and volumes that are just a a big mess. And your and your life, if you're honest, looks like a really bad country song. You know, you, several several marriages, several you know dysfunctional families, estrangement from kids, even your you know your truck broke down, your dog died, kind of a life. And and if you feel that way, like my life is just such a big mess, it's in shambles. Maybe maybe you feel maybe it's your career that's broken. You know, you, you, or, or maybe you feel like you're at a dead-end job, and like everybody's getting these great jobs, the economy's supposedly going so great, but for your career path, for your situation, it hasn't worked out that, that well. Or maybe at this point in your life, you thought your life would be different. You thought by now, for sure, you'd be married, and, and you'd have a, a family, and, and your happily ever after story. I mean, that's what you were promised by all the, the fairy tales. Your happily ever after story would already be happening, but it hasn't played out that way. It's uh, it's not been happily ever after yet, or maybe maybe you did make it down the altar and you 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 did fall in love with your you know, you know your your soulmate you thought your your dream date you thought and um and as you're seven or eight years into this or seventeen or eighteen or twenty eight or twenty nine however many years you are you can just be you realize oh man this isn't what I thought it was. And your marriage is broken. Or maybe it's your financial world that's broken. And, and you, you thought you'd be at this certain place, and you talked about saving for retirement, and your 401K quickly turned into a 104K, and all of a sudden you're realizing, man, we're not going to have the golden years like, you know, like, like we thought we would have. Your life's broken right now. And honestly, you don't know how you can put all these broken pieces back together to make some semblance of a plan. You don't, you don't you you feel like you're in a dark tunnel and there's no bright light at the end of the tunnel. And your life might feel like it's a big mess. The truth is though that we're all broken to some extent. You may not have a failing marriage, you may not be on the edge of financial collapse, but sin has broken all of us on the inside. The Bible says we're all created in the image of God, that God has a wonderful plan for our life that we have God's divine image, that we have a divine spark in us. We're all created in his, his image. But sin has come into all of our life and marred and messed that up. It's broken that image. In fact, for some of us, it's shattered that image in our life. In other words, we don't look like what God originally intended for us to be. And sometimes you feel like it's kind of too late, Jerry. I mean, I, I hear you say God loves me as a plan for my life, but I missed out on God's plan. Things went sideways on some spring break when I was in college, or things went sideways in my first marriage, or, or things went sideways when, when that industry shut down, or when my career, and things went sideways. And I don't see how I could ever get back to God's plan for my life. And as a result, we're hurting, or we're empty, or we're lost. We're confused, we're angry, we're broken people, because sin separates us from God 
in God's plan, what he originally created us to be. So we feel that brokenness in our life each and every day that we're not following our Savior closely. And when we look at Mary's life, what we see is that God specializes in restoring broken people. And I want you to know that no matter how broken you feel today, maybe you don't feel completely, I mean, maybe you're not dealing with seven demons, but you, you feel like your life's a little bit cracked up. Maybe you feel like, maybe you do feel like it's completely shattered. No matter, what, no matter where you are on that continuum, let me just tell you and assure you, Jesus can heal you and he can restore your broken life to you. He specializes in that. God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. That's what we're studying. In fact, look at this promise that he gives. All the way back in the Old Testament, Psalms 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. It says that Jesus heals our broken hearts. If you have a broken heart today, Jesus heals our broken hearts. And he bandages together our wounds. If you're, if you're broken, if you feel broken, remember, you're not an accident. God has a plan for your life. God made you to love you. He made you to get to know him. That's his will. And he made you to have a purpose and a plan if you'll just trust him. And God can take the broken pieces, even if you've got 55 years of broken pieces, and he can put those together. You may feel like you missed God's plan, but God's already factored in all of our mistakes. He knows the broken pieces he has to work with, and he still has a plan for your life to make it more beautiful than you can ever imagine. It's just the beginning to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the beginning, the first decision is I've got to be willing to allow, I've got to allow God to put together the broken pieces of my life. But there's more than that that we can learn from Mary. Look at this next decision. The second decision that I've got to make is I've got to make the decision to use my gifts to serve others. Would you write that down? We learn from Mary Magdalene that once God puts the broken pieces of our life back together, that I should use my gifts to serve others. After Mary was restored by Jesus, she showed her devotion by using her gifts to serve Jesus and to serve others. Mary went from brokenness to a woman of full devotion, using her everyday life and using every day of her life to serve Jesus and to serve his mission. And we see throughout the Gospels that wherever Jesus went, Mary went. Mary went wherever Jesus went. And she used her gifts, she used her talents, she used her abilities. She used her very life to serve Jesus and to serve any and everybody that Jesus was serving. Whether it was providing food for them or providing he and his disciples a place to stay or, or helping in this mission in any way that, that she could. In other words, Mary Magdalene is all in. For Jesus Christ, she is fully devoted. Now, I want you to think about how profound this is. Jesus heals her. He removes this huge stigma of being the demon-possessed lady. She is no longer crazy Mary. She is no longer that possessed woman. She is no longer that we don't know what she is. She's kind of a we, She's no longer the monster she was. He heals her, removes the stigma of being demon-possessed. And I think that it would have been very easy for her at that point to go, you know, thank you, Jesus. Now I can go back to life as usual. Now I can go back to the life that I was living before all this mess, all this brokenness. Now I can go back to normal. We always want to go back to normal, don't we? There's no going back to normal, folks. I can just go back my own way. And you know what? She could have done that, and many of us probably would have done that. But instead, out of gratitude, Mary says, no, no, no. I'm going to use all the days of my life, all my gifts. I'm going to use all my talent. I'm going to use all my time to serve Jesus and to bless others. And the reality is we all face the exact same choice in our lives. When we encounter Jesus and he 
He begins to heal what's broken in our life. He begins to take the broken pieces and puts them back together. We have a choice. Either we're going to use our restored lives to serve him by serving others, or we're going to use our restored lives to live for and, and serve ourselves. The truth is, every one of us here today, we have gifts, talents, abilities that were given by God. You have gifts that probably nobody else in our church has. You have talents and abilities that probably nobody else has. Where did you get those gifts, those talents, and those abilities? You didn't go to Walmart and go down the gift aisle. That's a whole different kind of gift at Walmart. Okay? You didn't go to Target and walk down the abilities aisle, the talent department at the mall. No. God's the one who gave you every gift, every talent, every ability that you have. You didn't sign up for it at school. It's something that God has given you. That passion, that desire, those, those things that, that you get so excited about, that's all a gift from God. Every one of us, he's given us gifts, talents, and he's given them to us for a reason. And the reason isn't just to, to squander them on ourselves. Look what it says in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts, Use them well to serve one another. You're gifted. But here's the thing. Those gifts, they've been given to you. Those talents, they've been given to you. Those abilities, those things you love, they are not an accident. God gave them to you. He created you with that ability. The question I want to ask you is, what are you doing with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God's given you? Are you using them the way God intended to bless others? Out of gratefulness for what God has done for you? Are you, are you serving Him by serving others? Or are you using them for yourself? Like Mary, have you decided I want to help Jesus' mission, I want to be involved in any way that I can and use my gifts, talents, and abilities to serve God by serving others? Or have you kind of just gotten into the flow of serving yourself like everybody else on your block, like everybody else in your graduating class, like everybody else? I'm going to use my, I mean, these are my gifts, my talents, my abilities is to be used on me and mine. See how, see how self-centered we are? By nature. So I want you to think about those, those gifts you have, those talents you have, the passion you've been given, things you like to do. Things, you, you, you are so good at some things. Those are the things that people come up to you and they're, and they're like, man, you are so good at that. Man, you, you should do that more. You're so talented in that area. And we're like, yeah, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Let me just ask you, is there any way you could use those gifts that you could use those passions to serve Jesus and to serve others. That's what class 301 is all about. Class 301 is a class in, in, our, in our church discipleship program. That's the one that I feel like we could charge five. I could pack this room up. If I just charge $500 for that course and gave you 80% off. It's, it's a $400 off and people would be like, I want to take that $500 course for only 100 bucks. And I could give you $100 at the end, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, it was free. It was so good. It's life-changing. Absolutely. Because it's then that class where you start to discover the spiritual gifts, the heart, the abilities, the, the personality, the experiences that God has shaped you into the person that you are. He's been working in your life all this time, even when you were running from him. He's been working with all these experiences, and he wants to use that in serving your fellow Christians, and the mission that you have in the world. That's his plan. But you should take 301. I know you've got to take 101 and 201 first, which I keep saying you should, you should jump in and start working on that. God has healed your brokenness. Now he wants to use you. He hasn't, he hasn't healed you to just let you sit and, and sour. He wants to help you find a place where you can use your gift talents and feel that fulfillment and that fruitfulness of being used by God. Because you really can't say you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus if you aren't using your gifts to serve God and to serve others. 
And there's one quick challenge I want you to notice from Mary Magdalene here. Listen, don't let your past disqualify you from being used by God. It's easy to say, you know what, I'm just not good enough. Jerry, you don't understand. I didn't grow up in church. You don't understand, Jerry. You don't understand what I did, you know, what I did in my first marriage, what I did in my past. You have no idea. I've made enough mistakes. I've sinned so much. I've done so many things. I'm disqualified from being used by God. Oh, no, you're not. Sometimes people come up to me, they, they, tell, they talk like that. They say, oh, you have no idea what I've done. And sometimes they do tell me. They're like, well, I killed somebody, or I, I worked for the mob, or I worked for a drug dealer, and, and then God could never use me. Or, of, have you read your Bible? Listen, Moses murdered someone. God used Moses. David murdered someone. God used David. Did you know this? I keep telling you, you should read your Bible. The Apostle Paul saw he murdered someone. Do you realize how much of the Bible is written by Moses, David, and Paul? Three murderers that God forgave and then he used. And if God can use Moses, if God can use David, if God can use Paul, if God can use Mary Magdalene, if God can use Jerry Walsh, he can use you. And he wants to use you. You're not disqualified by whatever your lousy, broken country song life has led you to this point for. I mean, if anybody had an excuse, it's Mary. She's like, I'm, I was possessed by seven demons, y'all. I can't, I can't lead this. I can't serve this. I can't be this. If any, God can't use me. If anybody had an excuse, she did. But God didn't save Mary and heal Mary just for her to sit to sit back, and he didn't heal you of your brokenness. So that you could just take up space and use up oxygen and resources. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He brought you out of all that mess to turn your life around, to be a trophy of God's grace, and he has a purpose. And sometimes your greatest hurt will turn out to be your greatest source of ministry. Your biggest mess turns into your biggest ministry. The biggest failure you have in life God can turn around and use for his success. God healed your brokenness, and he wants to use you to serve him and to serve others. So, being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, we learn this from Mary. I've got to allow God to restore my broken life, and I've got to use my gifts to serve others. Then the third thing we learn from Mary, if you'll write this down, that I make the decision to give generously to God's mission. I give generously to God's mission. Mary not only used her gifts to serve Jesus, she put her money where her mouth is. She put her money and her resources at work to help fund God's mission. Mary Magdalene gave generously to make Jesus' mission successful. We find Part of this in Luke chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, it says, Among them, he's talking about the group of supporters of Jesus. He says, Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, get this, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. They were helping Jesus in his ministry. Mary Magdalene contributed to Jesus and his disciples' ministry from her own resources so that Jesus and the disciples could carry out their mission. And by the way, this wasn't a one-time event. This was like for, from the time she meets Jesus all the way to the end, three to three and a half years, she travels around from town to town and she helps to provide as they eat, as they need a place to stay, as they have to resupply to move to the next place. Mary's generosity, along with the generosity of other people, made Jesus' ministry and his teaching possible. And just like Mary, if we're going to truly live lives devoted to God, how we invest our money is going to reflect that, that we're fully devoted followers. Our lives will model generosity if we're fully devoted to Jesus. And this is easy to talk about in our church because we have a church full of generous, generous people. In fact, I'm about to send out a letter 
Um, this week, May 1st, is when I send the letter out to raise the scholarship funds to send our kids to youth camp. We'll send 80 or so um, to Fuge and all the chaperones, and we'll, we'll need to raise like $15,000 this year, almost the same as we raise almost every year. And people will sacrifice and give to sponsor a kid to go to camp or sponsor a chaperone to go to camp because we have a very, very generous church who lived this out. And it's because we know that investing in our young people when they're in middle school and they're in, in high school, we know when we invest in their lives, those five days in June can change the trajectory of their life for decades. And if you can get a sixth, just finished sixth grader to go year after year after year after year after year, six years times five days is 30 days of their life, their life will never be the same. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we invest. That's why we're generous, because we can see God's impact in their lives. This is foundational, that God blesses us financially, not so we can just keep it all for ourselves, and that moves against the current of materialism in our society because in America, and really in humankind everywhere, it's mine. I worked hard. I, it's mine. I am going to use it for whatever I want to use it for. I'm going to spend it on myself. But if you're a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you're going to be um, a part of God's kingdom, then there's a change that has to happen in our hearts. And we go, you know what? I'm going to use this. I'm going to... Well, everything I have, all that I have is God's. All my money is God. It's all God's money. All my time is all God's time. I'm a slave to Christ. Jesus, he changed my broken life, just like Mary Magdalene. And, and I'm going to follow him all the way to the end. And when he says, do this or do that, or Jerry, share with them or share with, with, with those, then it's like, God, it's all yours. Then that's the fully devoted, that's what a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like. This is foundation foundational for the life of devotion that god blesses us to be a blessing to others i'm blessed to be a blessing i'm certainly not blessed to spend it all on ourselves kind of a thing look what it says in fact it's also foundational for the life of our church and it makes us possible as a church to fulfill our mission all the land all the buildings all the seats you're sitting in um everything that you see all all the snacks that you know just the the sandwiches and the and the cinnamon rolls you had last, they're all gifts from the, from the generous people who call SCC home. And we, you know, we not only invest and send your kids to, to camp, it costs more to feed them all year long. If you show up here on a Wednesday night, I mean, those kids, they eat like kings around here. It's like, you, you know, when I, when I was a youth, you know, you, you got a Nilla wafer with a little bit of peanut butter on it. said, be, be thankful, you know. Once a year they had a pizza hut. They had a pizza party. It was like just Hungry Howie's Pizza, and it, and which is the lowest price pizza of all time, right? And uh, no offense, Hungry Howie's, but you are. And, uh, and, and now you, you show up on Wednesday night, and it's like, man, what are they eating? They had like tacos in a bag this past week. They had Doritos on this taco meat. They, they, they deep fry Oreos around here. I mean, I never saw an Oreo in the, as a youth. You know, we had like the big 60 from Winn-Dixie, you know, those cheap cookies. And, uh, and you're like, why, why are you spending so much? Listen, we, we have over 100 young people here every Wednesday night. They eat, they eat. Your kids eat us out of house and home. Why are we investing in them? Because, boy, when they got their bellies full and they're in here, Pastor Nick's preaching the gospel to them or Pastor Josh is preaching to those middle schoolers. Middle schoolers are tough to talk about Jesus to, right? So we invest in them because we're a generous church. Why do we do that? Because we want to see lives changed. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but he who plants generously will get a generous crop. Our reward as individual followers of Jesus, what we reap when we give generously to our church or we give generously to the kingdom, like you give to the, the church in Ukraine who's ministering to all of these Believers who are escaping Ukraine and they're in Poland, um, and all these churches. That when we give and we invest in the kingdom, what you reap is you reap seeing your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors. You reap seeing their lives changed while they're here and their eternity changed for all of eternity. Why? Because you gave generously. You gave part of what God gave you generously investing in his kingdom now let me be real clear though 
as we move into this fourth decision that we have to make. Listen, even if you're a fully devoted disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and he heals your brokenness, and you're using your gifts and your talents for him, and you're being generous with your resources and with your life, even if you do all that, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a life that's void of problems. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a life that doesn't have any heartache in it. Even, after, even if God is active in your life and you're faithful with your time, with your gifts, with your treasure, with allowing God, even if all of that is true, you're still going to, you know this, you're still going to face hard times in life. And I'm just so sorry for those of you who, you happen to flip on the TV, you caught the wrong TV evangelist on TV, and he says, if you just give your life to Jesus, you'll never have any more problems. And you believed it because he acted, he had a cross and big hair, and you just thought, oh, he must know. You never read your own Bible to start with. But if, if you would read your scriptures about the followers of Jesus, it wasn't all, you know, gumdrops and ponies after, after they became a Christian. In fact, all of the disciples suffered a tragic death, a martyr's death, other than John, the one at the cross is the only one who doesn't suffer a martyr's death. So just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean it's going to be a rose garden on this earth from here on. In fact, it's often going to be tough. There's going to be tough times. And don't take my word for this. Jesus is the one that says, you're going to have many, you're, not, you might, not you might have, you're going to have many trials and tribulations. So what happens? The next lesson that we learn, when that happens, the next lesson we learn from Mary Magdalene is that we have to be ready to make this decision. Write this one down, number four. If I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then I've got to remain faithful during the tough times. And the tough times will come. They might not come at you in every area of life all at once. But I imagine all of us are experiencing some tough times in one or more areas of life. One characteristic of devotion is that we don't give up when the going gets tough. We don't quit when times get hard. We stick with it. It's really easy to be devoted when everything's going your way. It's... It's easy to be devoted when there's no hiccups, when there's no problems landing in your life right now, when nothing's going wrong. But it's tough to remain devoted when times get, get difficult. When the going gets tough, it's so easy to throw in the towel and to not be devoted. Now, obviously, Mary was going through a very tough time. Mary modeled devotion by remaining faithful during the most difficult time of her life seeing her Savior on the cross. Because if you go back to that day when Jesus is being hung on the cross, he's just been crucified. It's the darkest day in her life. And by the way, Mary didn't know that Jesus was going to rise again three days later. Nobody knew. Mary was there. Mary was one of the first ones at the tomb, at the empty tomb. But she wasn't going there because she expected Jesus to rise. There wasn't, look, there wasn't anybody at the tomb going, ten. Nine, eight, seven, six. Nobody thought Jesus was coming back to life. Everybody thought it was over. Rover, the fat lady had sung, and Jesus was gone forever. Jesus was surprised. That's why they were all astounded when they got to the tomb, and the and the angel says, well, "Who are you looking for?" And they're like, well, "We're looking for Jesus." And he's like, "Well, he told you he was going to rise again." And they're like, "He did? Really? He did? he did?" But they still didn't get it. Nobody's expecting. So this is the end. This is her saddest moment. This is the man who changed her life, who put it all back together. He's died. He's dead on the cross. And I want to show you the third gospel that mentions Mary. This is how we know how significant she was in the early church. Is that Mary Magdalene, that she was at the cross, because she's mentioned in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've already mentioned these verses from John and Luke. I'm going to, I'm going to read you one from, from Mark, Mark 15. Verse 41 says, some women were, were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene. They had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee, the whole region of 
the Sea of Galilee. Now, obviously, this is a tough time. Jesus is hanging on the cross. Darkest moment of her life. But she was faithful all the way to the very end. She didn't run. She didn't hide. Many of Jesus' disciples, it wasn't safe to be in Jerusalem that day. They're crucifying Jesus. So, you remember, he was a radical. He's, he's turning over the whole political system. He's up in the religious system. So, the religious system and the political system, the machine is all coming to all of his followers are scared that they're going to be next. They run away. Peter, Jesus' most famous, most well-known disciple, the one who, by the way, just, just 24 hours earlier, the day before, had said, I'll go to the grave for you, Jesus. I'll die for you, Jesus, who whips out a sword in the middle of the garden and is ready to go to battle. Just, just that very night, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three different times, but not Mary. Mary, she's devoted. She's faithful to the very end. And, and here's why I think this is true. Mary had been at a place in her life where she was rejected by society. She was um, estranged from her family. She was rejected and estranged, and she was possessed by seven demons. And when everybody in her life had turned her back on her, Jesus didn't. When all of her friends had turned her back, Jesus, he was there. So when Jesus' friends all turned their back on him, Mary was there for him. She doesn't turn her back on Jesus because Jesus didn't turn his back on her. Even, even in the darkest times, she had faith. And this is an, a, power, a powerful example of faithfulness that devotion leads to courage. And, and a devotion leads to courage that will get us through the tough times. Maybe you recently lost a job. Devotion leads to courage. You don't have to give up on God or give up at all during the tough times of not having a job. Devotion leads to courage. Even when your marriage is struggling or on the rocks, to stay in and keep loving and keep fighting, devotion gives you courage. Devotion gives you courage even in those times where you've lost a loved one. We're two weeks away from Mother's Day. Mother's Day, one of the most difficult days of the year for so many people. I can't tell you how many of my friends have lost their mom. Several of my friends have lost their mother this year. This will be their first Mother's Day without their mom. It'll be the most difficult day of the year. I'm already praying for those of you who are my friends who have lost a mom. And Mother's Day is even more difficult for moms who have lost a child or had a miscarriage. And, and the grief that they hold as they try to celebrate, we'll be up here, we'll be honoring all these little babies, and we'll see, you know, the, the potential that God has in all of their lives. But on the, on the flip side of that, we're also holding on to this grief, this very difficult time. Devotion leads to courage when you don't know what direction to take in life. When life sends you a problem or one of those whammies, and you're feeling lost, and you're feeling dark, and you don't know what to do. Devotion leads to courage when you're in a workplace. Look, it's not a very good environment to be a Christian in the marketplace nowadays, is it? I mean, nobody wants to hear from a Christian or what we believe. It's not popular or even safe to be a follower of Christ. Devotion leads to courage even in this political and in this social media environment. We're all tempted to doubt. We're all tempted to run away. We're all tempted to give up. Don't do it. Learn from Mary. Learn that you can trust Jesus even during those darkest times, whatever they are. And look at this next verse and this promise, because this is a promise I believe God wants some of you to hold on to. This is God speaking. All the way back in the Old Testament, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. But it's not Isaiah speaking. This is God speaking. God says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know how, how dark and paralyzed you feel with pain or with fear or with whatever happening. But I can tell you this. God is saying to you, don't be afraid. I am with you. That's his promise to you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you in whatever the situation is that you're in. And I will hold you in my victorious right hand. Write that verse down. Keep that verse. Keep repeating it. That's God's promise. Don't give up. Take courage. Stay faithful. 
even in the difficult times. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer and ask God to help us? Let's close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today. We're thinking about the cross, recognizing how much we celebrate the resurrection, but understanding that it is what you took upon yourself on that cross that makes it possible for us to have life, taking our sins to the grave with you. So, Father, I, I want to pray for those who are here today who are already followers of Jesus. They're already believers. Who are already forgiven, but they aren't really living as a fully devoted follower. They're letting something from their past or sin in their life right now keep them from being everything that you want them to be, keeping them from feeling loved by you and accepted by you. Father, help us to understand the significance of what you did on the cross so that now we are accepted by you and that we can be made clean. Help us to live that way. Help us to live as devoted followers. Heavenly Father, I also want to pray for those who are here today who are not yet followers of yours. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're tuning in online or maybe you're watching from the pavilion. Or you're here in this room and you would say, Jerry, my life is just so broken right now. It's a mess. It's a hot mess. My life is so strained by my past. I have so many regrets, so many mistakes, so many fears, so much garbage in my life. There's nothing that can be done for me. Well, you're right. There's nothing that you can do, but Jesus can. If you'll accept him into your life, he will forgive you of your sins. He can turn you into the person that he created you to be, no matter how broken your life has become. He can take those broken pieces and he can put them back together again. If you will accept God's free gift of salvation and accept Jesus as your Savior. How do you do that? Why don't you just pray a prayer to him? It's the same prayer I prayed last week. I'll lead you in the prayer. You just repeat it in your mind. God can read your thoughts and say, Heavenly Father, I believe you are my father. I believe that Jesus was your son, whom you sent into this world to die for my sins. And right now I place all of my trust in what he did on my behalf. I'm placing all my faith in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for my sin. I admit that I need a Savior. Are you praying that? I admit I need a Savior? I believe that Jesus paid for my sins. And I choose to place my faith in him. And then say this to God. Say, God, please receive me into your family. Please receive me into your kingdom. And I believe this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you that we can see the power of the cross through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. Help us to be devoted followers, just like she was. Help us to allow you to heal our broken lives and to, to use our talents and to invest our resources in your kingdom. And help us to never give up, no matter what this world throws at us. Help us to follow you, Jesus, fully. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.